Welcome to the teaching ministry here at Calvary PSL. Here's Pastor Mike with the message, Why God? While Paul was under house arrest in Rome, and while he was waiting um, for his uh, court date before Caesar Nero, he decided to write a letter uh, to the church of Philippi, a church that was filled with people that he dearly loved. And so Paul knew his court case, his appeal before Caesar could really go either way. He could be pronounced innocent and he could be released or he could be pronounced guilty and he could lose his head. And so as he's thinking and praying about all this, even though he so desired to go to heaven, even though he so desired to see the Lord Jesus Christ, he knew that his ministry on earth was not yet complete. We're gonna read it in Paul's own words, okay? And so by way of review, uh, please look at Philippians chapter one, starting in verse 22. Philippians 1, 22. Paul says to the Philippians, if I am to live in the flesh, in other words, if I am not gonna die at this time but continue to live here on earth, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. How many of you guys know that heaven's gonna be so much better than this earth, right? But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So convinced of this, somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit communicated to Paul that he, this was not his time to go to heaven. So convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Why? for your progress and joy in the faith. I wanna see you guys get discipled, so I'll be sticking around for a while. Verse 26, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And so Paul's like, hey, I don't know the timing, I don't know how it's all going to all pan out, but at some point, I'm convinced, Philippians, you're gonna look through your window, you're gonna see the Apostle Paul coming back to town. And now we pick it up today in verse 27. He said, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now everybody look at me really quick. How many of you guys really honestly believe that this is inspired, the Bible's inspired, and it's also authoritative for our lives? Do you really believe that? Because I know that's not a popular doctrine anymore, even in a lot of evangelical churches but we absolutely believe this is God's word and it's authoritative. In other words, what Paul is saying here is not descriptive language, it's prescriptive language. That means it's commandments, not just to Christians 2,000 years ago, but to Christians today. Christians like you and me. And I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so glad that you're listening to the commandments of the Lord. And so what's the commandment here? Let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ what God wants us to do. Make sure your life is lining up with the gospel. Halfway down verse 27, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, not really sure on the timing here, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So what is one way that our lives can line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can um, live uh, a manner of life that's worthy of the gospel of Christ? Well, one way is to stay unified with each other. 
have one mind, have one spirit as we strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. People are gonna laugh at you. People are gonna mock you. People are gonna tear you up on social media for your faith. Whatever, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of your opponents. Be fearless. And that fearlessness, that confidence in Christ, halfway down verse 28, this will be a clear sign to them of their destruction. At some point, they're gonna get it. They're on the road to destruction. But of your salvation and that from God. Now I really wanna focus in for the rest of our time together in verses 29 and 30. He says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also, what's the word there? Can everybody say the word suffer? I know some of you don't wanna say that word this morning. Right, also suffer for his sake. Now the word granted there in verse 29 has the idea of a gift of grace. Right, so look at verse 29 again. For it has been granted, it's a gift of grace that you should believe in Christ. Right, salvation is a gift of grace. We believe that, right? But look what the other gift of grace is. Not just to believe in him, but also to suffer. Suffering is a gift of God's grace. End of verse 29, I wonder if you've ever seen that in your Bible. Verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And so the same conflict that some of the Philippians years ago saw in Paul when the city magistrates ordered that he and Silas be beaten publicly and thrown into the Philippian jail. That same conflict that they saw way back then in around AD 50. And now the conflict that they're, they're hearing about now, that the apostle Paul has been put under house arrest in Rome right around AD 61. Paul's saying, hey Philippians, hey Christians, you need to know that you're gonna experience the same conflict. You're gonna experience the same suffering. You're gonna experience the same kind of persecution. And then Paul would write later to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, yes, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's a promise of God, not necessarily the one we like, but it's a promise of God. And regarding the word suffer in verse 29, David Guzik, who by the way, if you haven't read his commentaries, he's really solid. He can be found at enduringword.com. And so David Guzik, regarding the word suffering in verse 29, said this. The ancient Greek word for suffer here is pasco. This word is used primarily in the sense of persecution. However, it is also used of physical sufferings not related to persecution, of suffering under temptation and hardships in a general sense. And so even though in verse 29, Paul was referring to the suffering of persecution, the Greek word for suffer in that verse is used in other places in the New Testament for other kinds of suffering. Of course, this corresponds to what James tells us in James chapter one, verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of what kind? Various kinds. 
So sometimes we suffer because of persecution, but other times we suffer for other reasons. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth is this. Trials come in all shapes and sizes. And this is what we're gonna nail down today. We're we're gonna drill into this. We're gonna pack this for the rest of our time together. We're gonna think about, because this is where the rubber meets the road. How many of you guys want Christianity to be practical in your life, right? Okay, and so this is as practical as it gets because all of us endure suffering and trials and hardship in our lives. Let's think about it. We all encounter trials, right? Some trials knock the wind out of us. Other trials, they just gnaw at us day after day, week after week, month after month. And then there's these big trials and they literally buckle our knees. Okay, so some trials knock the wind out of us, but it's temporary, right? We get a phone call, a loved one has gotten into an accident, right? We're stunned, but then we find out later they're gonna be okay. It's like, whew, okay. Or the boss asks to see you in his office. You go in and they're like, hey, I'm sorry, we gotta make cuts, and so we gotta let you go, (gasps) right? You're stunned, but then how many of you guys know God is faithful? You get another job, the bills still get paid. Or, you know, um, what happens is the doctor says, it's cancer, you're stunned, but then he goes on to explain with the right treatments, you can beat this. All right, so some trials, they stun us at first, but after a while we recover and move on. Other trials, I think they're more difficult, they just gnaw at us, right? You have a physical injury. It's not just a couple weeks and you're healed, it just goes on for weeks and months, and for some of you, it goes on for years, and it's just gnawing at you, that's hard. Or, maybe it's that job that you don't like, and you dread it, you so dread it, in fact, you hate Sunday nights because you know Monday morning the alarm's gonna go off and you gotta go down there to that place and it just gnaws at you, right? Or, right, the family member, and the family member, you know who he is or she is, they just keep making bad decisions, and it breaks your heart, and you wanna help. You've tried to help, but they just won't listen, and it just gnaws at you. See, those kind of trials, they trouble us at a certain level, but we pray for God's help, and we just keep moving forward. It's part of life. Some trials knock the wind out of us, Some trials gnaw at us, but then there's those trials that just buckle our knees, right? It's the spouse who looks at you and says, there's somebody else, and I want a divorce. Or it's the doctor who says it's cancer, and it's aggressive, and it's spreading, and it's terminal. Or I know a lot of you have gone through this. Somebody you dearly love passes away. Okay, so those are the kinds of trials, right? They absolutely buckle our knees, they cause, they they hit us so hard, they cause our head to spin, and the next thing you know, boom, we hit the canvas. And so here's my question for you guys this afternoon, is are you gonna stay down there, or are you gonna get up? See, that's the question, because a lot of people, in fact, too many people, they get hit with these trials of life, and they just stay down on the campus, on the, on the canvas, and it's not God's will. God wants us to get up. Many of you guys have heard of Stephen Curtis Chapman, the Christian artist, and the, the horrible tragedy that he and his family went through back in 2008. And so People Magazine, after that tragedy, did a article, and I'm gonna quote now from People Magazine. 
Unimaginable tragedy struck the Chapman family the evening of May 21st when their five-year-old daughter Maria Sue was accidentally killed by an SUV driven by her 17-year-old brother Will. In 2004, after Chapman had performed at an Easter service in Beijing, a missionary couple introduced him to a spunky one-year-old orphan by the name of Maria. Stephen called his wife and said, I think I have met another Chapman. Maria Sue Chapman it was. A tiny girl with a big personality, she quickly became the family's cuddlebug who loved drawing flowers, the Disney character Mulan, and helped with the dishes. Like the other Chapmans, she was happiest when surrounded by her clan. And so after the accident, as Stephen frantically performed CPR, according to a neighbor, 18-year-old Caleb and 17-year-old Will, Maria's older brothers, were on their knees, reaching to the sky, crying, why God? Why? Flown to Vanderbilt University Medical Center, Maria died of her injuries. No charges will be filed. Says Chapman, we had talked with her about what it meant to be with Jesus. We had no idea how soon it was gonna be. At first, you don't even know if you can breathe. You don't even know if you're gonna survive the grief. You just wanna lie down and die. Last year, Chapman released a song about fatherhood titled Cinderella. So in 2007, I think it was October of that year, he released Cinderella. His little five-year-old died in 2008. It says that the chorus now rings achingly poignant. Quote, here's the last lyric. Oh, I will dance with Cinderella. I don't wanna miss one song because all too soon the clock will strike, strike midnight and she'll be gone. And so the brothers, on their knees, reaching for the sky, crying out, why God, why? And so it's the same cry, right, that millions of people around our globe, that they cry out in the moment of their tragedy, in the moment of their trials. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when human beings experience suffering, they instinctively turn to God for answers people who know him and walk with him, and people who haven't talked to him for a very long time, when trials hit us, how, do you guys, how many of you guys know that trials and sufferings are the great leveler of humanity? And it causes us to go to God for answers, and we're like, Lord, man, if you're really all-powerful, you could have stopped this. Why in the world, if you're all-powerful, did you allow this to happen? Don't you realize, God, how much this hurts? And by the way, the eternal Son of God can answer that cry, well, actually, I know exactly how much it hurts. You see, ladies and gentlemen, what, one of the areas that we err in is that we think God is so out there and so distant and so unlike us, but what we fail to forget is that 2,000 years ago, God became man, and Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man, and Jesus suffered more than anybody who ever lived on earth. In fact, Isaiah 53.3 says that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And Hebrews chapter four talks about how he is a high priest who can relate to our sufferings because he's been there, he's done that, and he's got the t-shirt. It kinda helps to know that the Son of God has gone through it and we're not alone in our suffering, he can relate.
So let that help you. The next time you go through a time of suffering and trial, that the one you're praying to knows exactly what you're going through, because he was there. Now, not only that, but the Bible is filled with examples of godly people who suffered a lot. The Apostle Paul is one of the most famous examples. So we saw this last week. We saw all the trials and tribulations, right, that Paul went through that led up to his first imprisonment in Rome in AD 61. And we remember the violent riot from last week, right? As he was being pulled like a rag doll in the temple courts and he's almost killed right there. And then we remember the two-year imprisonment in Caesarea. And then we remember how he's used as a political pawn between the Romans and between the Jews. And that not only that, he's transported as a criminal, even though he's innocent, by boat over from Caesarea all the way to Rome. And then in the middle of the voyage, they're hit with a Euroclidon, a severe storm, right? That, they, that Paul's gotta go through more suffering. And then they're shipwrecked on the island of Malta, more suffering. And then he's just trying to be a servant and he's putting wood on a fire and a snake jumps out and grabs him, even more suffering. And now in AD 61, he's chained to a Roman soldier. Paul, if anybody, could have said, why, God? But did you know that that's just a small part of what Paul went through as he served the Lord? You see, here's what you need to hear this morning. Paul was a Christian, and yet he suffered a lot. Now, I know this is not what you hear on a lot of Christian, so-called Christian uh, television programs, but what we need to do is turn the TV off and open our Bibles, because life is not all about health, wealth, and prosperity. We're talking about true life here this morning at Calvary. And so what he went through is just a small part. In fact, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, listen to this, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. So five times Paul was beaten by the Jews, unbelieving, Christ-rejecting Jews, 39 lashes, five separate times. I mean, can you imagine if the Apostle Paul showed us his bare back this morning? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship. Yes, Christians go through hardship. You say, it's not what I signed up for. It's part of it. And so we can put our head in the sand and deny it or wish it away or we can just get real. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night. Some of you, even now, you're having trouble sleeping at night. The Apostle Paul, I've been there, done that. In hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety, you say, Paul had anxiety? Yeah, he wasn't Superman. The daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And so Paul's a classic example of a godly man who endured much suffering. The question is why? Why, God? Why do you allow people who love you to go through so much heartache, whether it's Paul, whether it's the Chapmans, whether it's a million other Christians around the globe, right? Why do Christians suffer? 
And so what I wanna do today is I wanna give you some answers to the question, right? Now, you need to know this is not an exhaustive list. We could go on and on for hours, but we only have so much time. So let me just give you some, a few answers to help you the next time you get hit with a trial. Why do Christians suffer? If you're taking notes, number one, we live in a fallen world, which is enemy territory. Now, one of the things I love about being a pastor is I have the privilege and the honor every weekend, several times, to share with people a biblical worldview. And I love it because more and more, um, the culture is moving away from a biblical worldview for a secular, humanistic worldview that is godless and denies God and denies the Bible. So I love the fact that I get, man, I get to do this, uh, to share the truth with you guys of what's really going on in the world. Okay, so here's what's really going on. We live in a fallen world. Have you noticed this? And it's enemy territory. Now, it hasn't always been like this. God's original plan for human beings did not include a life filled with problems and pressure and pain. No, his original plan was paradise. God's original plan was paradise. In fact, we read this in the book of Genesis. And so Genesis, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was, can you guys shout out the next two words? You see that? Now when an omniscient, all-knowing God says something's very good, it's very good. So I know it's hard to imagine what this original creation looked like, but God said, very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And so when God created the world, he said, it's very good. In fact, the Garden of Eden, which God made for the first couple, was literally paradise on earth. And so instead of a life filled with problems and pressure and pain, Adam and Eve got to get up every day and just enjoy God's beautiful creation as they live together in perfect harmony. But here's what we often forget. If you're listening now, say amen here. God did not just give the first couple the, free, the, the, the gift of life. He also gave them the gift of freedom. Freedom. You say, why? God gave them the gift of freedom so true love could exist. Ladies and gentlemen, for love to be true love, there must be a choice. Now this is where a lot of atheists, and I believe that a lot of atheists are atheists not because of intellectual reasoning, but because they've been hurt by a trial and they're mad at God. But what we gotta understand is that the atheists will say, okay, you're saying God's all powerful, but yeah, I look around, there's evil, and if he's really all powerful, he could put an end to the evil, therefore there is no God. See you later, church. Well, how simplistic is that? Just because we look around and see evil right now, does that mean that evil's gonna continue forever? No. Right? And so yes, there really is a God, and the problem of evil, why is it here? Well, it's because of the gift of freedom. I've taught this to you guys before. God could have created us initially as robots. He could have programmed us, right, to always obey him and always love him. And we could have, right now, been um, robots walking around, right, and just like, praise God. 
glory to Jesus, right, with a fake smile or whatever. But what kind of satisfaction would God, would God have received from that? None whatsoever. And so it's when somebody has the freedom to choose. Listen to me very carefully here. I'm teaching you true theology. When somebody has the freedom to choose, and then yes, of course, without a doubt, it doesn't happen unless this happens. With the help of the Holy Spirit, absolutely, right? But still of their own volition. As the Spirit is willing, as the Spirit is drawing, we have a choice. And when a person makes a choice to turn from their sins the best way they know how and turn to Christ alone, trusting that when he was hanging on the cross, he was paying for their sins as he took their sins in his body on the tree and he bled out for them so that they could live forever in heaven. And Jesus rose again and they received the free gift of salvation when they make the choice to do that, and then after they're saved, they make the choice to go public and make a public profession of their faith in the waters of baptism. And they make a choice every single day. I'm gonna be a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. It's when somebody makes those choices that God is pleased and that God receives glory. Okay, so it's a choice. Stop blaming God, it's not his fault, it's our fault. How arrogant are human beings? We mess it up and then we blame God. Please, <laughs> give me a break. And so Adam and Eve had a choice, but sadly they made the wrong choice and they sinned against God and they ate the forbidden fruit. And the result, biblical worldview, if you'll just receive it, it's probably not gonna be taught in your state university, but it's still true. They made a choice to sin, they ate the forbidden fruit, and the result is called the fall of man. And nothing has been the same since. God gave man dominion over the earth, but through sin, Adam gave his dominion to the fallen angel Lucifer, to Satan. Right, So God says, hey son, Adam, don't eat from that tree. And the serpent says, hey Adam, eat from that tree. Now who did Adam listen to? Are you guys here this afternoon? <laughs> who did Adam listen to, God or the devil? Yeah, the devil. So what did he do? He gave his dominion to Satan and Satan took over the planet. Now regarding all this, the scholar C.S. Lewis said this, quote, the universe is at war. It's a civil war, it's a rebellion, and we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel. It's just where we're at. Now why did Lewis come to such a conclusion? It's because he read his Bible, and it's because he read his newspaper. Ephesians 2.2 says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And here's a shocking verse. 1 John 5.19, the apostle Paul, um, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, we are of God, who's we? Those who've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Okay, so we are of God, listen, listen to the word of God. 
and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, the sway of the wicked one, depending on what version you have. And not only that, Genesis 3.17 says that the very ground of the earth has been cursed. And not only that, Romans chapter 8, 20 through 22 says that the physical creation is in the bondage to corruption. And so why are there wars and rumors of wars? Why is there so much violence and crime? Why are there natural disasters? Why is there so much sickness and disease? Why is everybody, if they just would admit it, why is everybody growing older and one day they will ultimately die? I want you to hear this word. General, okay? The general answer is that we live in a fallen world which is currently, temporarily, thank God, occupied by the enemy. But how many of you are glad that 2,000 years ago the Son of God landed in our enemy territory? He came. He could have left us alone. He's like, all right, you don't wanna live for me? You wanna live for yourself? Fine. He could have done that, but God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And 2,000 years ago, God became man, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to a cross to pay for your redemption. How anyone rejects this message, I don't get it. I don't understand the hardness of heart as the Holy Spirit is drawing someone to know that Jesus, the Son of God, bled out for you and for me so that we could live forever in heaven, and we say, eh. How? How? And so Jesus Christ came, and he came and started a process of redemption which will be completed when he comes again. And so, hey, right now, Jesus said, as you're waiting for my return in this world, listen to the words of Jesus, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so the process of our redemption, well, it's not a process anymore. If we're saved by the blood of the lamb, our redemption is full and completed. But one day, the redemption that we have experienced is gonna extend and it's gonna include the entire world. It's gonna include the entire universe. I, I read the last chapter, God wins in the end. It's a beautiful thing. And so we just gotta get our eyes on the word of God because that's where truth comes. Why do Christians suffer? Number one, we live in a fallen world which is enemy territory. Thank God it's temporary. But number two, you need to know that God is maturing his children spiritually. God is at work. So even though we live in a fallen world, and even though it's temporarily the enemy's territory, as we saw last week, God is sovereign. He's the creator, Lucifer's the creation. God's up here, the devil is down here. And so yes, to a certain measure, he may be the prince of the power of the air, but you need to know that the devil's on a leash. And you need to know that God is absolutely sovereign. And that's why we know, last week, that all things, can you guys say all things? All things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. So God's at work. That's why James could say this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
but let patience have its perfect work. Can we put that verse back up? Because I think I forgot the rest of it. <laughs> James said this, let patience have its perfect work, check this out, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Right, the word perfect there is not sinless perfection, that doesn't happen on this side of the grave. What he's saying there is that you gotta allow the Lord to have his way, right, so that you can be spiritually mature, so that you can be Christ-like, so that you can be fruitful. So when it comes to our trials, James says we should count it all joy. And you might be thinking right now, well, pastor, wait a minute, I'm confused. How in the world can I count it all joy? How in the world can I be happy about, you know, you fill in the blank? your trial, insert your trial, whatever it is you're going through. How in the world can I be joyful about that? And I would respond this way. Now listen, what I'm gonna say right now is gonna help you if you'll just listen and understand it and receive it. Listen, God is not asking you to be joyful about the trial that you're going through. He's asking you to be joyful about the outcome of the trial you're going through. That's what's going on here. You see, think about childbirth. No mother likes labor pains, but every mother likes the result, the outcome of labor pains. No mother, as she's experiencing those horrible contractions, right? No mother is like, praise Jesus, oh God, thank you. Oh man, I love it. No, no mother does that. But when they hand that mama her baby, she can say, Lord, thank you for what the pain produced. Thank you so much for what I have here. That's what's going on here. God is sovereign. God is in control. He's working all things together for his glory and for your good. You just gotta put the wall down. You gotta humble yourself. You gotta realize that he's good. And that man, he's producing something through your pain. What's that? Christ-likeness, spiritual maturity, fruitfulness. But you gotta allow him to have his way. Because this, man, you're just gonna keep having, kind of like a cul-de-sac, right? You're just gonna keep, oh, right back where you were. Right back where you were. Right back where you were. God is good. In AD 61, as Paul was writing this letter to the Philippians, he was a deeply spiritual man. But man, did he have to go through some suffering to get to that place, that level of spiritual maturity. Why do Christians suffer? Number one, we live in a fallen world. Number two, God is maturing his children spiritually. But number three, if we're humble enough, we gotta admit this, it's a mystery. Right, now we don't like that because we wanna have all the answers. And that's just ego. But we gotta realize that, hey, a lot of this stuff that we're talking about, it's a mystery. And so I know you hear this a lot, but I wanna say it again, because the more I brag on God, the bigger God is in your mind, the smaller your trial will be. So, so listen to this, God really is omnipotent. That means he's all powerful. God really is omniscient. That means he's all knowing. God really is omnipresent, that means he's everywhere concurrently. And God really is eternal, he has no beginning, he has no end. And God really is sovereign, that means, as you heard last week, he is large and he is in charge. Listen to this, 
were not. Whereas he is unlimited and infinite, we are so limited and we are so finite. And that's why God said this through Isaiah, the prophet, um, the Lord said this, he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so if we're honest and humble, we have to admit that there's a lot of things that are just above our pay grade. There's a lot of things that just you know, are, above, are beyond our knowledge, and they're gonna remain a mystery until we get to heaven. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, and I quote, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. So there's some things, and God says, it's a secret. You'll find out later. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, for now we see through a mirror dimly. That's a fascinating verse. For now we see through a mirror dimly. Now you might say, well, pastor, this morning when I was getting ready for church, I looked into the mirror didn't really enjoy everything that I saw, but I looked into the mirror and it wasn't dim. It wasn't dim at all, I saw very clearly. But what you gotta understand is that mirrors in Bible days are different than mirrors today. Mirrors in Bible days were just polished metal. So it is hard to see your reflection in polished metal. And that's how life is sometimes. We just don't get it, we don't see everything. It's hard, and listen, one of the worst things that we can do when we're hurting and when we're confused is to fold our arms and stomp our feet and get mad at God. Don't do that. Remember that he's the potter, we're just the clay. And it's never right for the clay to stand in judgment over God. Please don't do that. He's the potter. He's omniscient. He gets it. And a lot of it's a mystery. Now, and all the omnis that we talked about, don't forget this omni. God is not just omnipresent, omniscient, um, um, omnipotent. He's also omnibenevolent. That means God is all good. There's no darkness in him at all. There's no evil in him at all. And so what does that mean? That means that, as Spurgeon said, when you can't trace his hand, you can trust his heart. You know he's good. Even though you don't get it, even though you're seeing through a King James Version, a glass darkly, and you're not understanding everything, you know that God's in control, he's in charge, he's got it, and he's good. How many of you are thankful God is good? Right, he's good. And so I don't know who I'm talking to this afternoon, or maybe someone's watching right now, but you're mad at God, and you've pushed it down in your heart. You need to repent of your anger at God and you need to humble yourself and just admit to him that you're the clay, he's the potter and he can have his way no matter what that means. And so how do we respond to suffering? Well number one, we just trust the Lord. Right, it's kinda easy, it's kinda simple but sometimes it can be really hard. Job knew that, when Job got the news that he lost everything Listen to this, and that all his kids were dead. Can you imagine getting that news? He had a choice right there. The choice that Job had was, would he curse God or would he trust him? And Job chapter one, verses 20 through 21, it says, then Job arose, he just got the news, his kids are dead. 
He just got the news, he lost everything. Then Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, and he shook his fist at God and cursed God. Is that what it says? No, he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. It's absolutely amazing to me, this response from Job. How in the world do we respond to suffering? Well, we gotta trust the Lord, but we gotta keep moving forward. I know this is hard. It's so hard, right? Because so many people get stuck. And sometimes it's just not worth the effort. And we just wanna stay stuck in the mud. So every time we go through a trial, we have a choice. We can stay stuck in the grief, or we can move forward with God. Think about Stephen Curtis Chapman's wife, Mary Beth. How did she feel? After she lost Maria, she said, I'm broken and I would give anything to have my baby girl back, but that's not gonna happen. So I wake up in the morning and I make a choice. You can wallow in the deep end or you can say, God, show me what you want me to be about today and how I can honor you and in turn, honor Maria. Wow. And so those of you who've been through intense trials, here's what you know. You know that if you stay in the past, you're staying in the darkness. But if you make a choice to move into the future, that is the only way you're gonna see brighter days. It's a choice. Now here's the thing, we can't do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. This is why I love 11.30, by the way, right? I can just unpack this a little bit more. You guys got a few more minutes? Okay, so, so listen to this. Okay, you're in grief, you're in heartache, you know it, you're having trouble sleeping at night, you're getting stuck, you are stuck, okay? You say, what do I do? You can't pull yourself out on your own. You need help. So those of us who live in Port St. Lucie during the wet season, like July, right? Many of us have swales. And you know, your car sometimes is in the swale and it rains and then you try to get out too fast and what happens? You get stuck. Anybody ever been there? Am I the only one, right? Right, the wife's like, you're tearing up the yard, right? Or whatever. And so what do you do? You call a friend who's got a truck and a chain, right, to get you out. If you're stuck in grief, you're stuck in a heartache, call a friend. Now your best friend in the first call should be Jesus. Because he's a very present help in times of need and he's been there, done that, got the t-shirt. He's suffered like we have. But you should also call a Christian counselor. You should also call a pastor. You should also call a friend. I was having dinner recently with a retired EMT firefighter. And um, he was telling me after, I think, 30 plus years being a firefighter in a very, very busy city and seeing tragedy after tragedy, you know how these guys and gals have to clean up after all these tragedies, that he's got some PTSD as a result of that. It's like, how do you deal with it? Well, he said, 
I call my friend, who also has 30 plus years of dealing with tragedy after tragedy, and he's a born again Christian, and we get together and we talk. And it's like therapy. And I'm sure they pray together as well. But, but listen, you, you don't just stay stuck. Get the help you need. Because the Lord, it's his will for you to get off the canvas and to get up and continue in the fight. Here's your last point. How should we respond to suffering? Well, trust the Lord, yeah, keep moving forward, yeah. But then, I love this one, look forward to heaven. It's coming. And it's gonna be amazing. Now, what we should do is we should educate ourselves about what it's gonna be like when we get there. Right, we don't want this to all be a surprise. Billy Graham wrote a book on heaven. Randy Alcorn wrote a book on heaven. The Bible is filled with verses about heaven. So we kinda should, like when you go on vacation, you get the travel guide out, right? And you see which, where you're going, what the city has. What are the 10 best things to do in this city? Well, we should do that as well with heaven. And so after the Chapman tragedy, Greg Laurie. How many of you guys have heard of Greg Laurie before? By the way, we love Greg Laurie, we endorse Greg Laurie. Um, but he, Greg Laurie, sent a note to Stephen Curtis Chapman after he heard about the tragedy. And the note said this, and I quote, your future with Maria will be far greater than your past. See, Greg Laurie was the guy with the truck and the chain. He's just trying to help a brother out. And so at a later concert, Stephen Curtis Chapman pulled out Greg Laurie's note. He read it to the audience. And then he said this, this is not a fair, the content of the note that I'm gonna spend, you know, the future with Maria in heaven, this is not a fairy tale or wishful thinking. It's what Paul said in scripture. If our hope is merely for this life, if this is all we have, then we are to be pitied. We're foolish. If everything in our life is simply to make things better or more comfortable in this present world, then when some unthinkable tragedy happens, we're destroyed. He goes on to say, but if our hope is for eternity, and this life is getting us ready for that, if we really believe it, then I can sing this song, Cinderella, because I have an eternity to dance with my little girl. And then he actually mustered up the courage with the help of God, no doubt, and he sang the song. It's crazy. But here's what's interesting to me. When he got to the last lyric, he didn't, sing it the way he originally composed it. The way he originally composed it was, I will dance with Cinderella, I don't wanna miss one song because all too soon the clock will strike midnight and she'll be gone. No, as he's singing it, he spontaneously changed that last lyric to this, quote, cause all too soon the clock will strike midnight, but I know the truth is the dance will go on. Wow. So later, Greg Laurie invited him to come and be part of his um, Icons of Faith series. You can actually see the interview. Greg Laurie interviewed Stephen Curtis Chapman. It's on YouTube. Greg Laurie, Icons of Faith series. And they're talking about the tragedy and how in the world did you guys deal with all of this? And Stephen Curtis Chapman said that after the accident, him and his wife were saying to God, God, please let us see something. Right, because there was a person in their life and this person actually had, came to them and said, I had a vision of little Maria Sue being taken into the arms of Jesus. And they were like, God, let us have a dream. <laughs> let us have a vision. 
let us see something. And the next day after she died, they uh, mustered up the courage and they went into their home and they were going from room to room. You can imagine how hard that is. And they entered the dining room and they saw two little art tables and then they saw a drawing, a drawing that Maria had been working on the morning of the accident. And they looked at the drawing. Can we see the front part of the drawing? There's a little flower this little five-year-old drew. And it wasn't until later that it dawned on Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife, Mary Beth, that God was speaking to them through this flower. You see, notice the flower has six petals. And they have six children. And notice that little Maria colored only one petal in with her favorite color blue. And they believe God was saying to them that Maria has now been made whole in the presence of Jesus. The rest of the family is gonna have to wait you know, till they get to heaven. And then they saw that something was bleeding through from the back. And so can we see the backside of that same drawing? And so they see the word see. Now she's five years old, they didn't even know that she knew this word. But they had been asking God, God, help us to see something. And there's that word with her little butterfly. Ladies and gentlemen, God is real. And God is good. And God wants to help us as we navigate our way through this fallen world, which is enemy territory. He wants to comfort us in our grief. He wants to help take care of us. We just gotta let him. Jesus said this. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's what Jesus said. That's John 14, one through three. You skip down to verse six. If you're listening, say amen here. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's the only way. You say, why? I thought there was many roads that lead to heaven. Wrong answer. Jesus is the only way because he, he's the only one who paid for our sins on the cross and rose again the third day. I wanna ask you guys, just bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you so much for your patience. I know it's longer than we usually go, but man, we needed to deal with this topic and maybe you're here today, and maybe you would say, Pastor, I don't know where I stand with God. I don't know if my sins are forgiven. I don't know where I'm going when I die. I just don't know. But I, I wanna know. I wanna have this kind of faith. Would you pray for me? And so if that's you, um, can, you can I just ask you with no one looking around, do you just raise your hand and leave it up for a minute so I can pray for you? I'm not sure where I stand with God. I don't even know if my sins are forgiven. I wanna have this kind of faith. Pray for me. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. I'm just gonna wait here for just a moment. God bless you and you. 
Yep, I see, I see your hands. You can put, you, those of you who have your hands up, you can put them down now, but I wanna see if there's anyone else, anyone else. Please don't, please don't put a wall up between you and God. God said, today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. The author of Hebrews said that. Today if you hear God's voice, harden not your hearts. And so, one more opportunity here. I'm not sure where I stand with God I'd like to be saved, please pray for me. Just raise your hand, whoever you are. Please don't harden your hearts. Yep, God bless you, God bless you. All right, you can put your hands down. Um, those of you who raised your hands and some of you who didn't, and let me just say one more thing. There, there's some of you right now and you're deliberately hardening your heart to the Lord. Here's what you need to know. God is under no, um, he doesn't have to always keep calling. In other words, if he's calling you today, there's no guarantee he's gonna necessarily call you tomorrow. So it's a gift of grace. Salvation is a gift of grace. So please, it's dangerous when we harden our hearts to the Lord. So I wanna encourage you to let go and let God have his way in your life. Submit to God today. And so if you raised your hand, um, here's what I wanna give you an option to do, it's a choice. If you would like to receive Christ as the savior and Lord of your life, uh, here's what you need to know. Here's the gospel, that all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That means that because of our sin, that we deserve death. The penalty of sin is death. That's physical death and that's spiritual death. That's the result of sin. But God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And so Jesus came and he, as I said earlier, bore your sins in his body on the tree because he loves you. He paid for your sins so you don't have to pay for them in hell. And then he died and got up and walked out of the grave victorious over sin and death three days later. And now he calls you to make the choice. Will you turn from your sins? Will you receive me as your savior? That's the question you gotta answer. If you would like to receive Christ as your savior, I want everybody to look at me right now. If you'd like to receive Christ as your savior, um, just stand to your feet right now where you are. Just stand to your, to, to your feet um, in, in the row that you are, just stand up. God bless you, God bless you. Anybody else? I wanna receive Christ as my savior. I wanna have the assurance of my forgiveness. Just, just stand up to your feet. I don't wanna prolong this too long, but man, we all need this assurance of our salvation, right? And so make sure that you know, that you know. And just anybody else wanna join these two brave souls, I wanna receive Christ today as my savior and have the forgiveness of my sins. Just stand to your feet, whoever you are. We'll wait here for just a moment. Yeah, God bless you. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Forgiveness is full and free. And I guarantee you that one moment after we take our last breath, we would have wished to God we came to Christ. Anyone else wanna join today? And so one more time, let's really give it up for these three people. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. 
And so in support of your amazing decision today, we're gonna pray out loud, church family, as you guys pray out loud to receive Christ to come into your hearts, okay? So uh, let's all say this. We're not saying a poem, we're talking to Jesus. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I know the wages of sin is death, but I believe you came and died in my place. Thank you for paying for my sins and rising from the dead. I confess you as Lord and I receive you as my savior. Please forgive me and thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You guys can be seated, but God bless you guys. That's awesome, that's awesome. Somebody says, is it really that simple, Pastor? Listen, whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved, Romans chapter 10.